Hello and welcome to Inside Modular, the podcast of commercial modular construction brought to you by the Modular Building Institute. This podcast is also brought to you by Modular Genius, an MBI and AIA award-winning design-build modular building contractor. Whether you're looking for a custom permanent modular building or a relocatable building, Modular Genius will take your concept and make it a reality. If you're interested in reducing costs and accelerating your schedule, please visit ModularGenius.com to get a free quote in 60 seconds or call 888-420-1113. Mention this ad and they will create a free custom floor plan for your project. That's ModularGenius.com. Welcome everyone, my name is John McMullen and I'm the Marketing Director here at MBI. Today I'm joined by Brent McPhail of Brave Control Solutions. Brent is here to talk about the role of automation in the construction industry and specifically how it can be applied to modular construction. Brent, welcome to the podcast. Good morning, John. How are you today? I am very well. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Excellent. Excellent. Um, so let's dive right in. Tell me about yourself, Brent. Uh, what's, what's your background and what's the genesis of Brave Control Solutions? Sure. So, um, so I'm a Canadian, grew up in southwestern Ontario uh, on a small farm. Um, had an entrepreneurial background, uh, some small businesses, you know, before I was even 16 years old. Um, went away to college, took a, a technology program. Um, basically, it was a electrical engineering uh, technology where we learned how to program mechatronic systems. And um, from there, moved on to beginning a career automating uh, processes in the automotive industry. Um, now, the genesis of Brave, uh, back in 2008, um, decided to, uh, to go off on my own and start uh, my own uh, engineering company called Brave Control Solutions, named after my two kids, Bryson and Avery. Um, coincidentally, the name Brave also signifies courage, which we tend to take a lot of um, the kind of weird, sort of tough uh, challenges, tight timelines, things that um, maybe a lot of my competition don't necessarily uh, want to try to tackle and that's sort of what's um, landed us here in um, looking at the off-site and modular construction industry and the automation requirements for there. Very good, very good. Uh, as you mentioned, Brave is in Canada but you're actually only a few minutes from Detroit, is that right? That's right, yeah. So um, when you talk automation and you talk historically, I always say that within 150 miles of the Ambassador Bridge, which is the bridge between uh, Windsor and Detroit, uh, which is the the largest volume commercial um, uh, border crossing in the world, we do more automation within 150 miles of that bridge than anywhere on the planet. So when you look at um, the history of the automotives in both Canada and the United States, a lot of that manufacturing originated right here. And so along with that came the supporting industries. And um, just in, in Windsor alone, there's 300 companies that do what I do. Oh, wow. And in Detroit, there's 3,000. So <laughs> there's, a, there's certainly a lot of automation experience within this 150-mile radius. Nice. Uh, so, so here's an obvious question, but I think it'll help us get the ball rolling a little bit. In, in a nutshell, what's the advantage of automation? Well, so keep in mind, John, you're speaking to a guy who, you know, designs and builds and sells automated systems. I would right. ask the question of what's not an advantage ah, <laughs> with okay. automation. Well, we can do that. We can um, do that too. Yeah, but, but the thing is, really, automation in, you know, 2021, it's used to empower people. And so, historically, automation has got a bad rap of um, taking jobs. I remember my early days, you'd, you'd install a robot in a, in a place, and the workers would come in, and they'd say, hey, that robot's name is Bob. And right away, you'd know... Oh, Bob was the name of the guy who used to do that job. And so I would always say to them, look, guys, my robots don't 
take jobs. My robots help companies be more efficient and more effective. They help companies be safer. They help them be more efficient. They help them be more productive so that they can hire more bobs to put in other areas where bobs are supposed to be used. And so the biggest thing that I'll always say about you know, automation and empowering automation, that's, that's a term I call automating responsibly. And the biggest thing that I always say about that is, you know, the human being is the best robot possible that there could ever be for flexible situations. But robots are really good at repetitive, dirty, unsafe, heavy um, areas of, of a manufacturing process. And so the key is make sure that you've got your robots doing the jobs that robots are supposed to do and your humans doing the jobs that humans are supposed to do and you've got a, a great automated process. So, so that's kind of, in a nutshell, my, my sort of higher level view on, on automating any process is that there's opportunities everywhere. You just got to be careful to make sure that you're applying it in the right way. Gotcha. So uh, historically with the construction industry, even with modular construction and prefabrication, which is known really for speedier processes and time savings, the adoption of automation has really been pretty slow. Why is that? So that is actually a really good question. And one of the first things that struck me back in 2018 is we started to look at our first uh, uh, modular construction problem. And so um, I have a little analogy now. This is, you know, two and a half years later, or three years later almost. So I have a little analogy now that I kind of, or story that I tell to sort of explain it. So I call it my F-150 story. And when we first started looking at this, and when you think about an F-150, F-150 is a very complicated piece of equipment. Let's say there's 10,000 different variants when you consider all the paint options and uh, interior options and motor options and wheel options and everything that's involved. It's a very sophisticated piece of equipment. But there's one rule that is always true with an F-150, and that is it and all of its options are 100% known before you build a factory to build a million of them and also you know, to build one every... Um, 54 seconds and so when we started doing our first project uh, in modular you know the company came to us and said hey we've got um, 150 different uh, modules that we need to build in this automated system and when we looked at it and said um, okay 150 modules that's that's quite a few but you know there's probably only really about 12 to 15 major variations and then there's some minor variations so that's not too bad we can handle that and as we started into our design they came to us and they said hey good news guys we've won another building of course, my team was like, yeah, that's great news. You know, this is really going to take off. And they said, okay. So as soon as all of the, um, as soon as all of the, the electric or the, sorry, electricians, as soon as all the architects have designed the uh, um, new modules, we'll send them off to you guys so you can build them in your machine. And that's when everybody on my team went, oh, wait a second, guys. It doesn't work that way. Hmm. You can't send us things to build in our machine after we've already built the machine. Like, that's just not how automation works. And fortunately or unfortunately, this company said to us, well, that's the machine we bought, so you guys are going to have to figure it out. And effectively, that's what we've done. So as I now look back and I look at the um, automation industry and, and, and the construction industry and knowing that automation, computer-controlled automation has been around since the late 60s, yet there's next to no adoption in the construction industry, what strikes me is it's not the construction industry's issue. It's the automation industry's issue. And so, you know that analogy where when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Mm -hmm. Well, um, what that means is the guys that are sitting in my seat keep going to the construction guys and saying, no, you don't understand. You've got to build your products more consistent. You've got to build them like an F-150. But the, the construction guys are saying, well, you don't understand. Our customers don't want to buy products like that. They want the variability. They want the flexibility in it. So the real challenge with automating in the construction industry is, Automation has to be able to provide the flexibility, but it's impossible to, to provide complete flexibility. Mm 
On the other hand, construction needs to get some standardization in place so that where we meet in the middle will be where we can do a, a really good automated integrated project. Gotcha. So let's talk about the advantages of automation specifically for the modular industry. Are there some examples that you could give me about how automation could benefit a modular manufacturer? Oh, for sure, yeah. So the first thing that I want to say right off the top is it's this, it's this um, what I'm basically saying is I work with my clients now is there's stages of automation companies. And so a modular company that has no automation would be, um, it would be a bit of a risk for them to put in a fully integrated system. Um, but there's a lot of stuff that you can do, you know, a fully integrated robotic system. There's a lot of stuff that you can do before that. So we've got, you know, some stuff we're calling build tech, um, intelligence around helping to kit things, make decisions, you know, track product. Um, and these are, these are tools that are already available, uh, prior to brave entering the market. One of the biggest advantages I think that brave brings because we're an automation company, not a software company first. Um, we're the we're the group that helps bridge like that touching that the we touch the product so we take the digital and we touch the product with it we take the product and we push that up to the digital so we can give a, a better layer of integration there but you move from that to sort of like what I would say would be a next level of of automation which would be um, some smart tools but that aren't necessarily a programmable tool right so and there's some products that are available we're developing some of our own but you know to help prep material cut material um, sort of do one or two steps in a process to make it a little bit simpler. Then you go to sort of the stage three, which would be the um, a programmable or a, like a smart jig, something that maybe takes some of the helps with some airproofing, takes some of the um, challenge of setting up new equipment as you as you have your variation of products, and then you move all the way to the end, which is like a fully integrated product. So in the modular industry, we're doing uh, some of the machines that we built right now are for precision fabrication. So we're welding the steel chassis together. Um, we're building uh, uh, wooden cassettes, they call them, uh, panel walls, uh, things of that nature. So, I mean, really the, the biggest thing is, you know, there's, there's low hanging fruit in every modular factory that I've seen so far. It's just about doing a discovery, you know, and, and understanding where some of the, the challenges are that are the right size for say the client that, um, um, so, you know, sizing what their technical capability is at this exact moment and, and sizing them up with a piece of automation that can help them. Gotcha. Uh, and you, you alluded to this some in your previous answer, um, but, but I'll ask anyway, are there some specific portions of the modular construction process that benefit most from automation? Yeah, so I guess we have touched on that a little bit. And, and what I would say is, um, generally speaking, you know, as I mentioned, humans are the, are the most uh, sophisticated robot there is. And I, the little story I say is, you know, you don't have to program a human when he's working next to another human um, to see that human on fire and him just automatically go and grab a fire extinguisher. But you could have two robots working side by side and one of them burning up and the other one just keeps working. And so, you know, it's, it's funny, but, but that's the reality. Everything, a robot does what it's directed to do. And so the best situations for a robot um, are things that are sort of heavy, dirty you know when you think about a welding robot you know welding is something that um in the automotive industry we know how to do very well and so um and it's it's hot and you've got a um it's it's a you know it requires a skill and so a robot can basically do that type of thing repetitively you know quite easily um but the other thing i do want to stress as well is you know we we robots are the fun things to talk about in automation but really, there's so much automation that happens that doesn't have anything to do with the robot. You know, material handling, moving things around, um, just using some software intelligence to help make better decisions. 
Um, and that's part of the roadmap that you'd expect to see as well. So as you're going from no automation to fully integrated, you know, you want to have a good balance of robotic automation, but also just normal automation without robotics. So there's, there's kind of two sides to it. Gotcha. You mentioned uh, in your answer systems intelligence. Um, tell me, just for the uninitiated, a little bit more about how uh, robots, and I'll use that simple term, can use their systems intelligence to, to make decisions. What variables can they see and deal with and, 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 and make decisions about? Okay, so actually, you maybe aren't going to be asking for as technical of an answer as I'll give you here, so I'll try to keep it high level, but robots don't necessarily make a decision other than what they've been programmed or directed to do. So that's maybe one of the misconceptions about a robot is that it won't, um, you know, people talk about artificial intelligence, but it's really it's still quite a ways away except for maybe a few small applications. So but what we're talking about is a robot can only do as it's directed or has been preconditioned to do. So the job of a system integrator such as Brave is to examine the entire world of the process that we're looking at and then pre-anticipate all of the potential decisions that will need to be made and then we give the robot options to deal with in those and so you know it is a valid question and why I say you know a human is a much more sophisticated robot because humans have that intuitive thinking they can do that type of work um, on their own and so you know one of the challenges that we find in automating a system is that if you try to model a robot after a human exactly the way a human operates you're going to fail because the human is so sophisticated in what they can do, their vision system, which we call eyes. <laughs> I don't want to talk too much like a nerd, but, no, but um, you know what I mean? And so, so what we have to do is we have to make sure that we have the, you know, the 20 years experience in automating automotive manufacturing to look at the, the challenges right off the bat that, you know, I think a lot of people when they sort of see the high level, the glossy brochure of what automation can do in the construction industry, they're like, okay, I want a robot to do that. And we quickly look at it and go, no, guys, that's not your low-hanging fruit right there. That's going to cause you nothing but problems. However, if we simplify this down, you know, we can find an ROI for you uh, using a, a robot or some other type of automation over here that's going to pay itself back and everybody's going to be happy and it's going to increase your automation IQ and get you ready for a more sophisticated solution as we go. Tell me about the, the adoption process for a manufacturer when it comes to automation. Can, can they phase aspects of it in or does it need to be done all at one time? Yeah, so that's actually a really good question, and it's something that's uh, come up, um, you know, with our experience and, and something that we're working with some clients with right now. And so what I would say is that there's probably two different approaches to take care. You know, if you are a modular company and you are looking to go from zero to 100%, a fully automated facility, a fully automated plant, then there's a process to do that. You know, there's a, um, a methodology that we can take to, you know, through, you through to do that. But what I think the majority that we've been running across so far are people that already have some form of manufacturing or offsite construction going on, and they're looking to try to, you know, increase their automation IQ. And so what we're finding with these guys is a phased-in approach is absolutely the best way, but it's more than just a phase-in of the technology. What the, um, the, the real challenge or the underlying challenge is, is that there's a manufacturing organizational structure that happens, you know, in a manufacturing plant such as Ford. And this organizational structure has been in play, you know, for 60 years. Well, what we have to admit, even uh, misunderstood, was that when we walk into a, an offsite construction or modular construction facility, we see a factory. You know, I see a factory. But 
what, I'm, what we miss a lot of times are some of the specific roles, process engineering, maintenance engineering, you know, uh, industrial engineering, things of this nature that are crucial in the success of an automated facility but aren't necessarily needed uh, when you're building an off-site construction facility that doesn't have um, automation in it. And so why that's so cru- crucial is we have to intentionally help our clients get uh, that level of intelligence when it comes to the actual sort of administrative skills. Um, the analogy I always use is, you know, you, you everybody loves babies, and but we know every morning when a baby wakes up, it's shit, it's diaper, and you've got to change that diaper. And automation is like that in a lot of ways. Automation, robots will will you know, catch themselves on fire, pull their wires out. Um, but what happens is once we, once we love that automation and once we have preventative maintenance in place and we have spare parts in place and we have the, the technicians required to, you know, to make sure that that stuff can work efficiently, you know, the ROI, including all of that, is still there, but it's something that it's not intuitive, right? It's one of those things that's logical but not intuitive. And mm-hmm. so the job of a consultant like myself um, is, to, is to help bring that in with intention so but certainly phasing it in you know getting the you know building upon you know one technology on top of the next and also uh changing around the manufacturing organizational structure is you know the kind of the ways that you've got to get there is there is there a timeline that you generally work with or recommend or have seen other manufacturers sort of adopt in aggregate i suppose uh is it is it a year is it five years is it six months what what have you seen so, so you know what? Timeline is a great question. And because, you know, we're relatively new on our pivot from automotive manufacture or automotive automation to construction, you know, we haven't gone through uh, enough iterations of this for me to answer that. But I will say that there is certainly one very crucial component um, when it comes to timeline, and that is this. Automation, for the most part, we're not selling a coffee maker. We're not selling a photocopier. So meaning we don't have an inventory of these things sitting on the shelf. And when you decide this time is right to purchase, you just come and buy it and away you go. When we're selling an integrated solution, even if it's based on an architecture um, that we've already made many times, mm-hmm. there's still a, you know, a customization. There's still tooling that needs to be designed, things that need to be fabricated. So the common thing that we hear a lot of times is, you know, speaking with a client and they'll say, yeah, okay, we want to just kind of touch base with you right now, but you know, we're not going to be ready for automation until next year. And so, but we just want to start to, you know, get a feeling or an understanding of some ideas. And we'll look at them and say, guys, you could be anywhere from six to 18 months from the time we go through a discovery process with you, you know, put a proposal together, simulate it, validate it, start building, fabricating, run it off and buy it off in our facility and ship it to your facility. Depending on the sophistication, it could be six to 18 months. And so, you know, with that in mind, when should we be talking about what you're trying to automate, right? So, so the, the thing about automation is that it'll never happen from a design standpoint as quickly, I think, as, you know, the end customer wants it to. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's just something to note. Okay, well, that's, I'm glad I asked that. Now, speaking of design, it leads me to my next question. Uh, are there design considerations that other professionals in the modular industry, and I'm talking about architects and structural engineers, would... Are, are there other design considerations that they would have to consider when working with an automated process? Yeah. So with the automated process, basically the word that we use is, you know, the product has to speak to the automation. And so simply what that means is, you know, structural engineer and architect, they can design a module in, in a lot of different ways, uh, ways that I don't even fully understand, but I'm just uh, starting to learn. But, um, so, but we have limitations and constraints in our automation. And so what the trade-off is, is 
Can we automate a process 100%? Yes, but it has to be a very rigid process. Mm -hmm. So in the levels of flexibility that we're talking, we might only be able to automate 75, 80%. We have a, you know, a, a robot arm that's doing material handling, maybe a foot wide. And so if an architect doesn't realize this and he designs, you know, spacing between uh, two, um, two joists or two supports that are less than a foot, well, you've already run into a collision that the robot can't operate. In reality, it's, it's probably more than a foot, not, not probably, definitely more than a foot because you've got other clearances and other issues at play. So one of the things, again, that, you know, we sort of take for granted in the automotive industry is there's this tribal knowledge about how to manufacture tooling and parts. And so when you look at a, a vehicle being built, you'll see the product, you know, if you, if you open up the door of your car and you look inside and you see the supporting um, uh, structure in there, you'll see lots of little, like, dimples and holes and other things that have really no bearing on the actual car product itself mm -hmm. well those are all things that are made to assist at some point in the manufacturing process and so the interesting thing about the automotive industry is that's sort of like a tribal knowledge where they just they know that they pass it down senior designers teach junior designers hey you have to have a locating point here you have to have a, a clearance here so the, the, the robot tooling can pick this up well we're not at that point yet in this industry and so one of the ways that we're trying to compensate for that is by building what we call a digital factory. So it's a digital representation of the actual machine. And then that way we give the um, architects the ability to see it with their own eyes. So as they're designing their product, they can run some tests on their product and they can actually see this thing um, as though they're sitting right next to a machine. And so that's how we're going to evolve, you know, their um, choices and their decisions and their designs that they're making to help it speak to the automation. So that's a really good question, John, because that's a very, um, what we see sort of coming down the pipe is a, is the next sort of big thing. Uh, once we can get, you know, more and more of these, um, more and more of these guys using automation, this will be the next big thing is the design. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So what's your, what's your pitch to those considering automation? How do you, how do you describe the ROI? Okay, so so the pitch, I guess, or um, what I would say is it's this thing, like, you don't know what you don't know. So every facility that I walk through, I see things happening that I go home. Guys, like, you, you can't build it this way. They also look at what I'm building, and they, it, and they say, oh, we didn't know that you had this flexibility. So we have this huge gap right now between the understanding of what the requirements are on a, in a off-site construction you know, facility and what we can do. So what we've been doing, or our pitch is, we need to do a discovery. And the discovery always works where we have potential problems with low-hanging fruit ROI. My engineering team and their manufacturing team sit together. They vet those out. We build simulations so that everything is uh, very visible so they can see what it looks like. And then we just have open discussions. And so what we do in that discovery is we first, um, you know, we uh, identify the problem, then we define it, then we propose a solution, and then we build the solution. And, and it's amazing how that path takes us. Um, but along with that are, you know, these are two things I always say. It's this ROI value-based, you know, solutioning approach. And so, you know, what I mean by that is if I can't find an ROI on a piece of equipment that has a payback that the person who's going to buy that equipment is uh, accepts, then we're wasting our time. And number two, if I were to say, okay, so your payback is uh, two and a half years, all right, so let's do a billion dollars and it'll pay itself back in two and a half years. 
that's also not practical because there's always the risk component, you know, what someone's prepared to put up. So what I will always say is, as we're doing the discovery, part of the discovery is, you know, what is your uh, budget? What is your payback? And then we go through and figure out, okay, what are the cost inputs? Like, you know, where are your costs being lost? And and once we understand that and we can quantify that, then we go ahead and we can put together a piece of, uh, you know, simulated automation and we can then definitively say, look, all the risks have been identified uh, and proven that the risks are not here as far as a lot of the risks come with like the material handling or the fastening technology, whatever it might be. Um, and then we look at the, um, you know, the, the cost and the production and the throughput and all that type of stuff and say, look, the business case is here and the technology is here, you know, let's go. So that's my, my pitch is there's not a lot that we can do at this stage without doing a discovery and working together to try to, uh, to understand the core of the problem and, and then put together a solution. That makes sense. Uh, so, so what's next for BCS? What, what are your goals in the next five years? <laughs> so, so now you're going to catch me talking out of the other side of my mouth. <laughs> so <laughs> my goal is to identify those project, those problems. Um, the more um, folks that I'm speaking with, the more I'm seeing sort of some consistent trends in some of the challenges that they're facing. And the more I do believe that we have uh, the ability to make some standard products. So as much as I say what we don't do is make a coffee maker or a photocopier, wouldn't it be cool if we were making photocopiers or coffee makers that we could just basically say, here, take this and plug this in and this will get you your first step. So in the next five years, um, we've got our, our CAD to path product currently, but we're developing some other products as well. Uh, so that's sort of on one vertical. And then on the other vertical, um, we are building a system to basically assist the other side of the spectrum, which is the modular guy who wants to go from zero to 100. So when I say, how can we intentionally get you there? What we're doing is we're building the intentional system. I kind of name it, you know, I say it like it's like a rocket launching. So, you know, you've got your, you've got your lift off, but if you work backwards, you know, T minus 18 months, bring in a, you know, HR recruiting person, hmm. T minus 16 months, you know, bring in your manufacturing engineering, you know, and, and sort of we're, we're, we're putting together our best brains from a manufacturing standpoint and trying to build out this intentional process to be able to assist in setting up a factory from zero to 100%. Well, I just wanted to, to thank you for your time today, Brent. This has really been a, a learning experience for me. It's a fascinating look into a, a fast growing portion of this industry. So I, I appreciate your time. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? Thanks for having me. And, you know, this is, it's, it's very exciting for us to be a part of this. You know, I, for years, we've basically had a company that it, its sole purpose is to increase shareholder value for automotive plants. You know, we find our ways to, um, you know, make ourselves happy by the new technologies we, we introduce and whatnot, but truly at the end of the day, that's what it was. And the thing that has us so excited about being a part of this offsite construction industry is that there is a global labor shortage there is a global housing crisis. And so we feel that we now can use our technology to really impact something much bigger than our shareholders. Now, for all the business owners out there, don't get me wrong, we're still trying to impact the shareholders as well. But, um, but, but basically, the, it, it's just, it's a really, it's very exciting for us as well to be a part of this industry. So. Well, thanks. And, and you guys are new members, I believe, right, of MBI? We are correct. Yep, and actually, I'm going to be uh, speaking at the um, at the show, the World of Modular Virtual Show. Uh, some more some some more topics about this uh, coming up. So. Well, very good, very good, and uh, thanks for thanks for coming on, and thanks for presenting at World of Modular. We're always happy to to talk to a presenter, and we're very excited about that show ourselves.
So thanks again. My name is John McMullen. This has been another episode of Inside Modular, the podcast of commercial modular construction. Until next time.